Hey, Resort Temecula, this is Herrick. I am coming to you with the third pastoral address. And um, I want to start by just saying that I miss you guys. I miss being with you. I miss seeing your faces. I miss gathering together as the family of God. Uh, I miss so much of just the the joy of being united in person, physically, in, in the flesh. And I, yeah, I just want to start with that. These are difficult moments that we're obviously experiencing together. The world is kind of suffering all at once in a really uh, unprecedented, I want to think of a different word, but I can't way. And so in this address, I want to share with you guys some things that I feel like God has been putting on my heart over the last couple of weeks for us as a church community. And as I get into it, I want to start by simply saying that I believe that God is with us in this season. I believe that he is for us, that he is doing something in the midst of this. He's working out his loving purposes in this season, even though it's extremely hard, it's excruciating in so many ways. So I want to instill this sense of hope without downplaying how hard this is. I have learned more, I think, about lament in the past three or four days than I have maybe in the past three or four years. I was uh, at a parking lot in Murrieta driving around because I, I, I needed to drive my car because it had been so long since I moved it. I was afraid the battery was going to die on it. So I went for a drive and I drove into this little commercial center, lots of businesses, and there were three cars in the lot. And I saw that, and for whatever reason, I just started welling up and crying. And I am not a big crier, but it just hit me like, there's people who are supposed to be here in my head. They're supposed to be here working, and they're not. They're home. And that's not a bad thing in a sense, because I think that'll help our health and our hospitals. But nevertheless, like I, I started to lament the reality that people's lives have been disrupted in a way that is... It's painful. It hurts. People are getting furloughed, laid off. Uh, businesses are going to, some are going to have a hard time coming back from this. So I just want to say, I am hopeful and I am hurting. And if that's you, I totally understand that. I am with you in that. And so I think in this pastoral address, I want to be honest about how hard this is. And I also want to remind us of Jesus and the ways in which focusing and fixing our eyes on him will get us through this season. And I think it could be a season of remarkable change and transformation for us as individuals and for us as a community. So in this address, I want to share three things that I feel like God has put on my heart for our church. First thing is the opportunity or the opportunities that we have in front of us. Second thing are the hindrances, those things that can get in the way of us experiencing the fullness of what God has for us in this season. And thirdly, I think there is a new path forward that God is calling us to as a community to embrace in this season to see his kingdom come and his will be done in the midst of this pandemic. So I want to first start with the opportunities that we have before us. I want you to know that these aren't random. They actually come out of Romans 13. And I'm going to read a couple of these verses to you. But before I do, I just want to let you in on something. The book of Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, is a remarkable piece of literature. 
It is complex. It is dense. It is beautiful. And ultimately, it was written to people just like you and me. And this group of people in Rome in the first century were experiencing something remarkable. The governing authority of that time was Emperor Claudius. And he took action against that hurt the church. He actually expelled all the Jews from Rome for a period of five years. And then five years later, they returned. And so Paul is writing to this church that is now made up of Jews and Gentiles, Jews and those who are not Jewish together. And Paul writes this letter to unify them around Jesus Christ because they were experiencing division. But why do I mention this? There is a cultural moment that we're living in right now where the governing authorities have made decisions that have significantly impacted our lives. There have been decisions made that we will, in some cases, will cost us income, will cost us our jobs, and maybe more. So this is action that's highly disruptive, choices that have been made that have impacted us. And it's not hard to envision us, especially if this continues on for more time, weeks, months, or longer. It's not hard to envision us having a tendency or a temptation to become hard-hearted, angry, jaded, distrustful of the governing authorities, much like those Christians in Rome, especially the Jewish population in Rome, might have felt about the governing authorities of the time. So Paul writes this letter to people who have a complicated relationship with the government. And we're living that moment right now, aren't we? So I want to read these words to you and talk about the first opportunity that we have in front of us. Romans 13 verse one says this, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists, resists the authority is, is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authorities? Do what is good and you will have its approval for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason. And it goes on from there. And actually Paul talks about how pay your taxes to those whom you owe taxes. And that was a point it seems like of contention with people in that time. And so why do I mention all this? I think we're living in a moment where God is giving us the opportunity to learn to submit to the authorities that he has put in place, even though it is extremely hard to do so, just like it was for the people in the first century that Paul is writing to. And there might be a reality that for you, this stay-at-home order is maybe like the equivalent of the taxes in the first century, a sensitive topic. It is costly. It is painful. And yet here through the apostle, I believe God is reminding us that we are called to submit to the authorities that he has put in place. This is a nuanced point naturally, because there are moments in which the governing authorities that are in place command or compel people to do things that would violate God's commands. And in that case, then I believe that we have to say, I obey God, not man. 
For example, if they were to command us to stop preaching the gospel about Jesus Christ as good news, if they were to command us to stop baptizing people, if they were to command us to not plant churches and the like, then I think we have the right to say, I obey God and not man. However, there is a reality that any government, even the oppressive ones, typically want to prevent things like murder, theft, rioting, instability, and chaos. And in those government ordinances that are for the good of the community that do not violate God's commands, we ought to submit to those. And interestingly, it says, let everyone submit to the governing authorities. So there, there, if you feel like the exception, it's kind of on you to show how you're the exception. And I say all this saying, this is hard. My kids, my, my son Josh is not going to get to go back to school and he loves school. He thrives in it. It's costly for us. I miss being with people. I miss being with you. I miss being able to go to eat out and actually sit down at the restaurant that I'm eating out at. I miss being able to go have a coffee with a friend and not having to think about any of this stuff. But that's not the world that we live in. The reality is there are there is a stay-at-home order in California, and I really do believe that it is in place to protect people and to save lives. And so we have the opportunity to reckon with why, if, if, if it is hard to submit to government, why is it hard? Where is our distrust coming from? Are we projecting on the government authorities some issues that we have with authority? Because the reality is that a lot of times we, like, we project stuff on God himself, our own issues with broken authority in our lives, we project it on a God. And I, I get this, I do this too. But we have an opportunity, we have the time and space to actually reckon with this because this stay-at-home order and potentially who knows what else might come down the pike. If it's for the benefit of people to save lives, to protect hospitals from being overrun, to save healthcare workers and spare them from the tsunami, then I think we have an obligation to listen to the authorities and we have a chance to learn to submit because I'm not convinced that this is easy. Some of us feel like this is an overreach. Some of us feel like this is, they, they've gone too far with some of these things. But I think God's gently and lovingly saying, reckon with this. I have put this authority in place. Come to me. Bring this hurt that you have. Bring your concerns. Bring them to me. I love you. And I'm, I've put these authorities in place for your good and for the good of the community. And I understand that not all Christians are on the same page about this. There have been in, in, I got a call from my mom who lives in Puerto Rico asking me if I had seen about the pastors who were still having their churches meet and were trying to get arrested. And uh, I had to say, yeah, I've, I've seen that. Uh, there's, this actually happened in Central California or Northern California where um, a, a pastor recently was refusing to submit to the order to stay at home and still wants to have public gatherings. And here's the thing, in Sacramento County, one third of the cases of coronavirus come from churches gathering. That is sobering. And I, I think that has more to do with expressing our rights as individuals than it does with submitting to the authorities that Jesus has put in place who are commanding us to do things to protect other people. I think that has to do with self-expression and not self-giving love. 
So that's the first thing that we have in this season. We can learn to submit to God's authority. It's an opportunity that we have. Secondly, we have an opportunity to learn to love our neighbor. So continuing on in Romans, verse eight says this, do not owe anything do not owe, not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves has another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is important. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love therefore is the fulfillment of the law. Love is self-limiting. Love says no to the desires that would harm other people. We know this because we see this in the person of Jesus. When Jesus was going to the cross, the cross on which he died to forgive us of our sins, to release us from the tyranny of sin that we were under as its slaves, to set us free like God said, the people of Israel free from being under Pharaoh, Jesus set us free from being under the tyranny of sin into a new way of life. When Jesus was on his way to the cross, he had to go through the garden first. His moment of testing, his, his garden experience, where Adam chose to disobey God and to focus on himself, Jesus said no to himself. He said, Father, if this cup may pass from me, but not your, not my will, but yours be done. He's, he was saying, not what I want, but what you want. That's love. And that is our salvation. And so now for, for, for other people, us saying no to maybe desires that we have that might expose us to catching and spreading this thing, it might be salvation to them. It might save them from catching this thing from suffering under it or spreading it to other people unwittingly. Love does no wrong to its neighbor. Jesus loved us so much that he gave up his life, his freedom, so that we might go free, so that we might have a chance to live and really more than a chance so that he might secure our salvation. And so now we get, since he laid down his life, now we get to lay down our lives. So now we have an opportunity to learn to love negatively on the negative side by not acting in ways that might harm our neighbor and also positively by acting in ways that do love our neighbor. And this weekend, Danny Kimlott from Restored South Bay is gonna preach a message that we're gonna share with you guys. And he's gonna unpack this in a lot more detail than I can here. Highly encourage you to check that out. And finally, We have the opportunity to learn to submit to the authorities. We have an opportunity to learn to love our neighbor and do no wrong to them and do good to them. And we finally have this opportunity to wake up. Verse 11 from Romans 13 says this, beside this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. God has given us this incredible opportunity to wake up. It's, it was so easy before, and it still can be. 
easy to be lulled to sleep through entertainment, through comfort, through all of the, the kind of trappings of this modern life that now don't seem to be nearly as substantial and life-giving as maybe they seemed before because they cannot help us to confront what we're dealing with and facing. Now we have the opportunity to wake up to reality, to real life. We get the opportunity to wake up from the illusion of control that we felt like we had over our lives, from the illusion of success that we felt like we were, that we were writing our own script and, and making ourselves someone. We get to wake up from these things. We get to wake up from the comparison that would dominate us, the, the, the FOMO, the fear of missing out that we would feel when we would look at Instagram or whatever. I don't have this. I don't have that. They have this. I need to be better. I need to do this and that. I, as a side note, quarreling and jealousy are mentioned in the same breath as sexual immorality and too much drink. Jealousy is dangerous to your soul. And we have this opportunity to wake up to these realities, that these things that we put so much stock in, possessions, prestige, and power, they really are things that we need to let go of and leave behind so that we can come awake to Jesus and what he is doing, who he is, what he is doing, how he is making us a new people with renewed minds who have a new purpose for living in this world today. So we have the opportunity to learn to submit to the government authorities, even when it's hard. We have an opportunity to learn to love our neighbor. We have an opportunity to wake up. What are the hindrances? What are the things that would keep us from actually giving ourselves to these opportunities? And I just want to talk quickly about two. First, I think there is a reality that we, I, you and me, we can be self-willed. Uh, this is from the Gospel-Centered Community book that many of us have gone through. If you've been through an intro to Gospel Community, you've read this, but this is a great reminder. Being self-willed will be a huge hindrance to us in this season. And that looks like your schedule and priorities taking precedence always, taking precedence always over everything else. You don't reshuffle your agenda to help or serve others. could also look like enjoying having voices in your life and people to connect with, but not tending to take their advice or welcoming their correction in this season of life where we are going to need help. We're going to need each other's help. We're going to need to have one another help us see our blind spots. We need people more than ever. And being self-willed also looks like when it comes to the church, the family of God, like being more of a consumer, having a consumer-oriented mentality that asks questions like, what do I like about this? What do I not like about this? How does this make me feel? What do I get out of this? What is this going to cost me? There's a reality that we, our wants and goals can be functionally prioritized over the needs of the community and the mission that Jesus has given his church in this season. Now, I want to say very clearly, not for a second do I think that this is what we are doing right now on the whole as a church I know that there has been great love shown in this season, and I am proud of you, church. This is simply a reminder. None of us are above being reminded of the tendencies that we can carry that might hinder the work of God in our lives. And in fact, I want to say thank you to those of you who have opened up your hearts, opened up your wallets, opened up what you have 
to bless and benefit other people in this season. It reminds me of Jesus himself who gave up everything to love and bless the world. So thank you, church. This is simply by way of reminder, the days are long that we have ahead of us in this pandemic, and we are going to be prone and tempted to be self-willed in this season. I am, you are, we are. And we have to be aware of it and we have to fight it. We have to remember Jesus, the one who said no to himself so that he could say yes to love. The one who said no to himself so he could say yes to the loving purposes and plans the father had for his world in and through his son, Jesus. He has plans for this world in and through you and me. And we might miss out if we prioritize the wrong things, other things, if our schedule and priorities always take precedent, if we don't listen to anybody else, and if we take on the, the posture of a consumer as opposed to someone who contributes to the well-being of others, which is love. So that's a, a real hindrance we need to be on the lookout for, self-willed, being self-willed. Also, I already talked about this briefly, but just being asleep is another huge hindrance. Napping on the job, like we're soldiers now in a battle. We always have been a part of, God, of, of an army. We've always been called to, to put on the armor of God, but now more than ever, we are in a battle and we have to wake up. We can't be distracted when God has called us to be devoted. We can't prioritize comfort when God has called us into a life of rich connection with him and with people in this season. But we can be lulled to sleep through entertainment, through consumption. We can be inundated by the news and lose sight of what God is doing in and through this. So we are called to be awake, to wake up. We have a mission in this season. It reminds me of the movie 1917. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it for you because I tend to do that uh, when I'm uh, when I'm preaching and get into it. Uh, but 1917 is a movie where there's a soldier who's literally woken up. He's woken up. He's asleep and he's woken up. And he is then sent on a mission with another soldier together. These two are sent to bring news that will save lots and lots of lives. It is a life-giving message that he is given. But in World War I, they have to cut through trenches. They have to cut through enemy territory, literally landmine, fields of landmines in order to get this message of life out. And he had to wake up. They had to wake up and they had to confront their fears and they had to do hard things and they had to give up their sense of comfort and the things that they would look to otherwise. They had to give it all up in order to see this message that would save lives go to the other side of the war. This was before iPhones and easy technology. This is 1918 or 17. And I've been thinking about this and we have an opportunity to wake up because we've been given life-giving news, life-giving news to share with the world, to embody, to give freely as we have received Jesus. And we cannot be asleep. That phone call that God might be putting on your heart to make to that friend or that family member, that might be his way of saying, I see you. And I care about you so much so that I sent one of my sons, one of my daughters to you to listen to you, to love you by picking up the phone, by getting inconvenienced, by getting uncomfortable, to love you. And those, that's what we have in front of us. And we want to be awake to these things, church. So these great hindrances of being self-willed and being asleep, 
will keep us from experiencing what God has for us. Finally, we've talked about opportunities and hindrances. What is the path forward? What does it look like to continue on into loving, fruitful discipleship? being Jesus' apprentices in this season. And I believe God is calling us uniquely as a church to give ourselves to prayer. Romans 12, verse 12 says this, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction. Who doesn't want that right now? And then it says, be persistent in prayer. And I think God has called us, restored Temecula, to be persistent in prayer in this season. That is the pathway forward. Why? Because prayer recenters you and me around him, around King Jesus. Prayer says, your kingdom come and will be done. Prayer says, I am your partner, God, in seeing the world renewed and restored. Prayer says, I am humbly dependent on you, God, not on myself. Prayer is essentially saying no to being self-willed and to my, fulfilling my agenda and saying yes, Jesus, to fulfilling your agenda. Prayer is saying, you are what I need most. You are the one and you alone can satisfy. Nothing else, no distraction, no comfort, no successes. Nothing else can satisfy me but you. And that is what prayer does. It recenters us around the person of Jesus and his work for us. So I have three quick ways, church, that I want to encourage you to be praying in this season. This is how I've set up prayer in my gospel community. This is how I'm going to encourage you when you pray by yourself, when you pray with your household, when you pray with your people to pray. First, pray for the pandemic. We did this as a gospel community and we actually prayed. I was watching the news and I got a sense of things that were going to be difficult unemployment was going to be a big thing. So we prayed that there would be an expansion of unemployment benefits for people because that's where the need is. We prayed for other things and then we got a chance to give God thanks when he answered those prayers. And we can pray for this pandemic. We can pray for healthcare workers. We can pray for first responders. We can pray for those who are risking their lives and their necks to give people a chance to live. And we can give him thanks because that's what Jesus is like. This moment that's so difficult and so painful is creating this tangible love. And we can pray for people, for their protection, for their safety, for for them to be able to save many lives, for them not to come home infected and infect their families. We can pray for this pandemic. We can pray for our leaders. We can pray in so many ways for this moment. So pray for the pandemic. Watch the news and get ideas for what to pray for. Take all of your needs, all of your cares, all of your anxieties, turn them into prayers and petitions and the God of peace will be with you. Secondly, in addition to praying for the pandemic, we can pray for personal needs. We can be honest and humble before our God and tell him what we need, whether it's financial hardship or health or fear. We can be honest with him and humble before him and tell him. We could also be humble and honest with front of our community and tell other people, here's where I'm at today. I am struggling. I am afraid. I am having a hard time with X, Y, or Z. Remember, the father loves his children and he wants us, you and me, to cry out to him. And I love it when my boy comes to me because his sister's hurting. I'm like, yes. Thank you, Josh. I want to take care of her. And we have a chance to do that for each other. So we can pray for each other's personal needs. And then lastly, we can press into the spirit. And I have two quick suggestions for that. One, we can ask him, spirit, what do you want to say to me? And second, we can ask the spirit, what do you want to say through me? 
And I have been amazed at the number of ways the Holy Spirit has answered these prayers in our gospel community. He has given us words, pictures, visions, dreams. It's it's amazing. And I think he wants to do that in and through our church. I am confident of that. God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say through me? And God's, I've done this and God has given me specific people to contact, to call, to text with specific things that they needed to hear in that moment. And, and, and don't think like, oh, Herrick's a pastor or whatever. I believe the Holy Spirit is with you. If, you. if you are a disciple of Jesus, you have the same spirit that we all have. And he can speak through you words of encouragement. Sometimes you are going to receive words of knowledge, things that you didn't know. And the Spirit's going to be like, go and talk to this person about that. Ask them about that. And you don't know how you might turn around someone's day, someone's week, someone's life as you give yourself to list to pressing into the spirit and listening. Church, I love you. This is longer than I had planned, but nevertheless, I love you. I miss you. We miss you. Tom and I, our wives, we, we long to be with you, church. Long to, to gather again and pray and be able to lift our hands and lay hands on people who need prayer and do all those things. In the meantime, let's give ourselves to learning how to submit to the authorities, to loving one another, to waking up and to prayer.